book of Colossians. It's all about the uh, preeminence of Christ and the uh, supremacy of Him. He's supreme in all things, is He not? Supreme in all things. He's supreme in the universe as He is the Creator and Sustainer of it, as Colossians says. He's supreme in this world where we live. He's supreme in this nation. He's supreme in this city. He's supreme in all people. He's supreme in our lives, in, in, in everything, whether we're at home, as Colossians has put forth in chapter 3 and 4. He's supreme not only in our home and our families, but He's supreme at our workplace. He is supreme wherever we go in our neighborhood. He is totally sufficient in all things. And as we relate to unbelievers, which we talked about last week, talking about having the speech of Christ, really, being seasoned with that. And so, as we relate to everything in our own lives, He is absolutely sufficient. Have you ever felt that? He is sufficient in in all the things that we're dealing with. And that's why it's somewhat sad to come to this last section of Colossians that we're going to be studying in chapter 4 because really it's coming to the end of what I consider to be a great doctrinal letter. And uh, the last two chapters in 3 and 4, I would say were great chapters dealing with the practical aspect of being able to live out that great doctrine that He's given us on who Christ is. There's no better subject than being on the person of Christ, right? I mean, that is the absolute best. I mean, that's the supreme. And of course, as we have said, all throughout Scripture we see that. In this book, it's very easy to see the high exalted position of Christ and uh, to realize that He is our great delight. He's so delightful that we have partaken in Colossians and we have tasted delicious delicacies and we just continue to feast on the person of Christ, right? And that is what it's all about. Now, um, as we have looked at Him and we adore His beauty, we also see the instructions that He has for our lives. He gives us the power to live a Christ-like life. And so this epistle um, that we have, this letter has been written by Paul and it's very helpful not only to the Colossians but to us here today in practicality and being able to use this in our lives as well as doctrinally. Now, we know we're all to be ministering the Gospel. The Gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we do. We, we serve that out. And as this letter comes to a conclusion, we actually will emphasize today teamwork. Uh, the How the church is a team and how we all need each other and we need to meet the responsibility of uh, serving. Serving each other and serving uh, the Lord uh, in different uh, aspects. And what Paul is going to do is give us a group picture. Now, it's like a photo, only it's a photo in words as he names these names and then we uh, get to realize, hey, there are people in here we really don't know very well, but they're in Scripture. And usually when we come to a text like where we're at today, we say that's the greetings. We just kind of uh, scan over it, boom, that's it, and go to the next book or go to prayer or whatever. So we uh, uh, tend to kind of skip these sections, but Paul is going to show that there are important people in his ministry that he could not have done without. He had to have them. He was not alone. And so when good leaders... Uh, express themselves, they have others alongside. They need the aid all the time. I need aid. I need people to surround me. I need this church. I need this ministry to be able to do what we're supposed to do. And I need it constantly. I need it throughout the week. I need it through like Sundays and the Wednesdays. Um, Those are very important. That's the aid that I need. I beg of you to come alongside as we are here to minister to each other as we hear that word and then give it to... to, uh, like-minded people like ourselves. In the book of Acts, there are probably more than 100 Christian friends of Paul that are mentioned in there. That's, That's people associated with Paul. That's incredible, isn't it? Now, emphasizing the fact that we count on each other. We we know in Proverbs 27, 17, 
Here's what makes an, a local assembly, uh, assembly effective. What is it? Well, Proverbs 27:17 says, "Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another." Or you might remember Ecclesiastes 4:9 it says, "Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion." So God's people are to work closely together. And um, it's just not just coming together just on a Sunday for a two-hour thing, but it it is uh, working together. And I think as we see this text, we see that my they were laboring earnestly in uh, in that fellowship and in the ministry that they had. So we can learn from these eight men that are found at the end of this letter here, and make that apply to our own lives. It's not just saying, okay, it's throwing this out to these these servants of Paul and uh, this really doesn't have anything to do with us because it's these men and whoever they are, Epaphras or whatever, um, I'm not going to pay attention, right? Well, these men paid the price of associating with a man by the name of Paul. And wherever Paul went, even though there were people drawn to Christ, there were also other people who were highly offended because of the gospel that he preached and so what we're going to see is these men stand out in their service and their passion in their very commitment and faithfulness that they have to Christ and to Christ's ministers and other ministers. So what we're going to do is um, go into verse 7 of Colossians 4 and start there. It's a long text. And I noticed that Kim was looking at the text and uh, looking to see how long that was. And I'm sure she's wondering, how are we going to be able to get through this whenever I have a hard enough time getting through three or four verses on some Sundays? And uh, I, I quite wonder that myself as I look at my watch. Um, and as we read through here, um, we'll just read as the text goes along. Verse 7, As to all my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord, will bring you information. For I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number, they will inform you about the whole situation here. <laughs> so what can we? What, what? What's this saying? What's What's this mean for me? Okay, well let's look at Tishikas. Tishikas. That's interesting. Names are important, by the way. In, in Scripture, when you see names, you know they mean something. People sometimes call people names today, and they're derogatory and such. But names really have a meaning. Tishikas means to be fortunate. And I think he was very fortunate in being able to be in. Um, a ministry that actually dealt with Paul. And uh, um, what a privilege. Would you say it would be a privilege to serve with the Apostle Paul? Wow, great. He's mentioned five times in the New Testament. So even though we don't know him very well, you might have seen his name before, but we really don't know too much about him, I think we can get a real rich profile of this servant. Remember, this is kind of a snapshot, a photograph that Paul has taken of these guys. And as we put little pieces together, we can say, that's the kind of person he was. That's interesting. He first pops up on the scene in Ephesus. Remember that church? Ephesus. And he was, that was at the end of Paul's missionary work. And so we know that Tychicus comes from Asia. He probably was from Ephesus. He's probably from that city. Paul ministered there quite some time in Ephesus. And so Paul was taking up collections, if you remember, from the Gentiles to take back to Jerusalem to the Jews. That's interesting. From the Gentiles, who were the second group of people. It was the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. But he's taking up collections from them to the Jews who were having very hard times in Jerusalem. And that's fascinating because that gives them an opportunity to actually show that they are supporting them. And that will make an impact on the Jewish people because they've always kind of had problems with Gentiles. The Gentiles had their problems with the Jews. But he's taking up an offering and Tychicus is actually going to be a representative of Paul to take that collection to Jerusalem to the Jewish people. 
Now, I find that very fascinating that uh, he would be doing that. Now, if you look in Acts chapter 20, verse 4, see something related to that. And it says, And he was accompanied by Sopater of Berea, the son of Curus, and by Aristarchus, that's a name will come up later, and Secundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derbe, and Timothy, we know him, and Tychicus, and Trophimus of Asia. So Tychicus is also of Asia, which is actually Ephesus, probably. We know in 1 Corinthians 16.1 they were giving, uh, collecting up the offerings on the first day of the week. So Tychicus is willing to travel, isn't he? He's going to go a pretty good distance to take that collection there. And so that's quite a commitment to serve. I mean, he's giving up maybe what his livelihood was to do this, to take off for this long of a time. He's giving up family, whoever his family is. Is he married? Well, we don't know. We don't know that those kind of things. But we do know that he's going to take this back. Remember, travel wasn't that easy at the time. You just don't hop on the jet or the bus or in your car. But uh, very hard traveling, difficult. He's leaving. Uh, he's even leaving his church for a long period of time. And he knows about the warnings that Paul has been given. Paul was given warnings in Jerusalem. And, he, and of course, as he traveled with him there, as he had taken the, uh, the money there, the collections, he had heard that, hey, listen, you better, not, you better get out of here. They're going to kill you. you know, there are plots to kill you. And then we know he gets arrested. He was told that, but Paul went ahead and kept doing what he was supposed to do. Got on the ship, and we know what happened to the ship as it went to Rome, don't we? Um, all sorts of uh, harrowing journeys that um, Paul was involved with, and this is one of those. And uh, there was quite the storm and the shipwreck. And, uh, of course, we tend to think that uh, he must have been on that ship with Paul as we find him here writing from Rome to the Colossians as he's there with him. So that's quite a thing for him to do. He's mentioned also in Titus chapter 3, verse 12. Now, as we turn here, I'm really beginning to wonder how we're going to get through the rest of this book today. I like this book. We might be here for a while now. Titus 3.12 When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis. Now, this is Titus. Titus is a pastor. Paul wants Titus, the pastor, to come to him. And what I'm going to do, he says, Titus, I want you to, you're going to have to take off some time. And what I'm going to do is I'm either going to send Artemis or I'm going to send Tychicus there to do the pastoral work while you're here with me. So, at least he was considered to be one of those two. That, that Paul is getting ready to do something. That, that's pretty amazing to send him to go in and, and then pastor a church for a while. Um, it, that's in Crete. Now, if you go to 2 Timothy 4.12, we'll learn a little bit more about Tychicus. 2 Timothy just for Titus. Isn't it? Another pastoral letter. Uh, verse 11 says, Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. But Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. Now, in verse 9, we see that Paul is telling Timothy, the pastor of Ephesus, to come to him as soon as possible. Now, what does that mean? That means, okay, as soon as you pull out, we're going to have somebody else to fill in for you. Who is it going to be? It's going to be Tychicus at the great church of Ephesus, of all places. Timothy had been pastor there. Of course, Paul had been there. Um, Polycarp later on is is one who was a pastor there. What the history that it had. And Tychicus is one there was going to come in and still um, kind of replace uh, Timothy at that time. Then you go to Ephesians 6.21. Are you starting to get the idea of kind of who Tychicus is? He's, he's a man who just fills in. Hey, whatever you need. I'm here. Paul, tell me what to do. I'll do it. Boy, that's, that's how effective that Paul's ministry was. He has men and women that he can depend on. 6.21 But that you also may know about my circumstances, how I am doing. Tychicus the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord. 
We'll make everything known to you. Okay, that's the Ephesian letter. Paul's been writing from Rome. He has a letter to the Ephesians. But he also has a letter to the Colossians. And he also has a letter to Philemon, who is at the Colossae church. Guess who's going to help take that, those letters back? Tishkas. Tishkas. He will make everything known to you. This is Tishkas. My, what a servant. And he not only carried these letters here, but you have to remember, what did he have to do to get that letter there? Well, no emails. Oh. Wow. Boy, isn't that great what we have today? Take every opportunity to use all the things that you have available. It's incredible what you can do with it. We can get hop in the car, boom, we can put it in the mail, whatever. We can get that out. Well, these are valuable letters, folks. The book of Ephesians. If, if I had to pick a favorite book, uh, Romans, Ephesians, boy. <laughs> How much time do I have to read it? Just a short while, I'll take Ephesus. Ephesians. <laughs> Alright, I have a long enough time. 16 chapter, I'll take Romans. Ephesians. He, he's, he has the responsibility to take that letter there. What happens if he loses it? <laughs> what happens if he says, this is enough. They expect me to do this. I can't do this anymore. What would happen if he'd just give up? Man, that's awfully easy to give up. He didn't. He brought it there. He brought Colossians there. He brought Philemon. We've been studying Colossians. Thank you, Tishicus. We thank the Lord for you to be able to be faithful to take that letter there because we get to study that. God used you. Now, God would have made sure it would have gotten there. But at the same time, look at the humanist. You know what he had to do? He had to cross Italy on foot. Okay, enough said. Then he crosses the Adriatic Sea. Not on foot. Then he traverses Greece on foot as he crosses the Adriatic. Then he has to cross the Aegean Sea to the coast of Asia Minor. And then he walks another 100 miles to Colossae. That's what he did to bring these letters there. Wow. Hundreds of miles. A lot of that just plain out walking. Paul surely trusted him. Don't you think? These are valuable letters. I never really thought too much about it. When I read this letter, I think of Paul writing it, and boom, that's it. Most of you guys kind of think of that. Hey, thank the Lord for Paul for writing this. And somehow it just got there. No, look what it took to get there. Well, he's called a beloved brother, as it says here in Colossians. Our beloved brother... Paul said this. He's beloved by Paul. He's beloved by the church at Rome. He's a faithful servant, diakonos, a table waiter. He was not called a great leader, a great speaker, a great thinker, but he was called what? A faithful servant. That's why in our title today, we have faithful friends in ministry. You know, one of the best things that we can be called is faithful Faithful servants. I can't think of something any better. Somebody you'll always depend on. Faithful. or Faithful. And that's what he was. He was so faithful, so dependable. The greatest ability is dependability. 1 Corinthians 4.2 Here is a high commendation from Paul. Look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found, what? Trustworthy or faithful. That is a high priority of all of us. And, of course, that's a commendation from Paul. There's equality here between Paul and Tishkas. What does he call a faithful servant? That is between Paul and Tychicus. They're both servants. They're, they're deacons. Um, he, he, he served Paul. He also served God. A faithful bondservant. Now the word bondservant there you guys are probably familiar with. Soon doulos. Soon is with. Together with. Doulos is what? Slave. Together with. Sla- We're slaves together of Christ. 
Now the fellow, the faithful servant is that he's faithful to Paul and they're both servants in that way but Paul is not better than Tychicus. They just have different roles to do. They are equal. And, and that's, that's what's really, really cool here. Paul never looked down upon anybody and he says, we're both slaves. We, we slave together for, for Christ, right? And so that's the relationship to the Lord whenever he says, soon do loss. We're both slaves to the Lord. Faithful servant, that's his relationship to Paul. Now, what's the purpose um, of him going all the way to where he's going to go? For I have sent him to you for this very purpose. Verse 8. That you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. That's easy to outline. Two things. Two things. Even though Paul wrote the letter and the apostle here, we know how how he's being used by God. What good is the letter if he doesn't deliver it? It has to be delivered. We turn to our Bibles this morning. We read this book. We don't even think what it took to get there. Wow. Seems like a small thing to deliver the letter. What's the big deal? Well, we just kind of talked about that, didn't we? This is of eternal value of what was brought. The world may not see the little things that are done, but God sees every one of them. So when when you do something to serve the church, to serve individuals, serving the Lord, so that's that's the whole point. Somebody may not ever recognize it, may not ever even see it, not even know it, but God knows. He will never forget your works. It does not go unheard of. God knows. Information. He's supposed to deliver information. That's a purpose. To tell them about what's happening with Paul, his affairs. They're worried about him. They're concerned about Paul. So he gives information about how his health is, what his hopes are, um, the future prospects of Paul. He gets real personal. They, he's never been to Colossae, but they want to know, hey, how's Paul doing? What's going on there? So he's going to bring that on. And a lot of the content is found in this letter we have just spent on for the past few months. Now, he's there also to encourage. To give information to encourage. So he adds a personal word of encouragement. There's encouragement right in here in this content, isn't there? Have you been encouraged by Colossians? The, the sufficiency of Christ. He's all sufficient. We're not. He is. Be encouraged. And also, just his own answering their questions. Can you imagine the questions they would probably have? You know, about Paul, the ministry. Hey, what would you do there? Uh, he's been gone for a long time. They can't wait for him to come back. By the way, he's really really the pastor there of Colossae. So, yeah, they're going to want to know. You know what? We stand rich. Here today, as we sit here, as we stand here, we stand rich because of this letter of Colossians. I hope you have gleaned not only information, but practical practicality from this book. Thank you, Lord, for Paul. Thank you, Lord, for Tychicus, right? There's another guy here mentioned, as we're in verse 7 and 8. 9 then says, and with him, Onesimus. Onesimus is going to come. Now, the first point of this whole deal is the faithful who go. Okay, These are the ones who are going to go out. They're the faithful ones. Paul's sending them. They, they go. There's other people that stay. Everybody can't go. You know, Everybody like to be missionaries, right? Um, I don't know about that. <laughs> Not everybody is sent out. We have to have people here too, right? But this is another one that is sent out to go. His name is Onesimus. He's a runaway slave. He became a Christian under Paul. He ran away from Philemon, which you know of that particular book, Philemon. And he ran away from him. Guess where he wound up? He wound up with Paul as Paul was in prison. Somehow, I don't know how that happens, but God in His sovereignty directed him to the right person. Couldn't have been a more perfect person. That's how God intervenes and works. I am amazed how God brings things together. And if you look at history, just how God has worked in individuals' lives, you go, wow, look, he, he, was, he was supernaturally working there. And then all at the same time, I didn't really know that. But He is, isn't He? He's a supernatural God. He transformed this guy. He was once ungrateful, and now He is Onesimus, uh, uh, the one who is abounding in love. He was the slave and he ran away. He had been dishonest. And now he's wanting to make it right. You know what he's going to do? He's going to go back to his slave owner, who's a Christian, and say, 
Well, what about that? Uh, is that condoning uh, slavery? Well, we don't have the time to talk about that. Well, what he's saying there at the moment, go back to and, 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 the, and the book of Philemon. He says, go back to your owner. You're a Christian, he's a Christian. And he kind of tells how Philemon's supposed to act, but he never says, get out of your bondage. And just, hey, don't even go back there. You know, He doesn't say that. He says, go back. That's incredible. You know, he'd been revolutionized. God's grace does that kind of thing. He was running away, and all of a sudden his life has been transformed. And you know God is in the life-changing business? Do you know He changes your life? <laughs> he does that, and man, He knows how to do it. And He puts on display, whenever He changes our lives, He puts on display a transformed life. And you can look at everybody in here and say, isn't that amazing? <clears throat> this is the way they were, and look how they are now. They're being transformed. And look the way they're going to be. Right? He's doing His work. God is doing His work. And and so what does it say about Him? And with Him, Onesimus, our faithful... So that word just keeps popping up. And beloved brother. Sounds like Tishikas, doesn't it? And he doesn't have a long history of being a Christian, but um, this guy's a believer. And uh, here it is. His transformation made him faithful. That's the whole idea. These two men are the ones who are going to be going. And they're considered by Paul to be faithful. He trusts them. There are some who go, and there are some who stay. And so now we go to number two. The ones who stayed. <clears throat> so we're going to verse 10. Verse 10 isn't over here. My mouth and <clears throat> my throat say... <laughs> I need some help. Verse 10, verse 11, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings. And also Barnabas' cousin Mark, by whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And also Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision. And they have proved to be an encouragement to me. These guys are valuable to Paul. He's named too. Now he says, okay, here's some guys who are still with me here. <clears throat> they're faithful too. They're not coming. They're staying here to serve me. So he mentions Aristarchus. We saw that guy's name just earlier back in Acts. Now, these guys happen to be from the circumcision. In verse 10, we see that at the end of that uh, last phrase there, or, uh, it says, who are from the circumcision. They're from the Jews. That's easy. They're Jewish Christians. That's interesting. What's his name? Aristarchus. He's Jewish. Now wait a minute, Dennis. This guy is not a Jew because he has a Aristarchus. That's not a Jewish name. That is a Greek name. Why does he have a Greek name? Well, uh, at that time in the world... Uh, that was in the Roman world and such, and the, the Greek language. Um, there were Jewish people who would actually use well, some language that wasn't always Hebrew. And they'd use this Greek name here. Well, I believe this Jew, who is a Christian, definitely understood grace. A lot of the Jewish Christians were having a little bit of trouble with the whole aspect of what grace was, and the circumcision was a big thing that they were bringing in. You remember all throughout Paul's letters, and in Colossians, that's one of the problems there. Uh, they were still hung up on some legalisms. And these guys were circumcised, just says that's where they came from, that was their background. So it's not only Aristarchus, but there are two other Jewish believers that are named here. Uh, Aristarchus is originally from Thessalonica. If we turn back to Acts chapter 20, verse 4, we just trace this a little bit and we start learning about these guys. Verse 4, He was accompanied by Sopater of Berea, the son of Pharis, and by Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians. Aristarchus comes from Thessalonica. And that's definitely a, a Roman civilization, Greek-speaking people. And uh, that's why. He's, he's from Thessalonica. If you look in chapter 27, verse 2, near the end of Acts 27, or uh, uh, near the end of the letter of Acts, verse 2 it says, uh, 
and embarking in the Adramatean ship, which was about to sail to the regions along the coast of Asia, we put out to sea accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica. There he is mentioned there. What's he doing? Getting on a ship. Where's the ship going? Going to Rome. Oh, wow, that's pretty cool, a cruise. Get to go on a cruise. You know how the ministries, you know, they have these cruises, they're pretty cool and everything. They, they speak and say, well, he's going to hear Paul speak. Going to get a lot of opportunity to hear Paul speak, right? Well, as he's traveling along with him. But uh, again, we know the journey that that was and the shipwreck and all that involved. And he was part of that. Um, by the way, if you go to Acts 19, verse 29, this is at Ephesus. Remember Ephesus? Well, a riot starts. Remember the riot in Ephesus? Well, Aristarchus is right in the middle of it. Look at this. The city was filled with the confusion. And they rushed with one accord into the theater, dragging along Gaius, we've seen that name, and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companion from Macedonia. Aristarchus is pulled out of the theater. They drag him out of there. Paul's going to have to get out of Ephesus. Aristarchus is caught. That's the kind of thing that happens when you hang around Paul. <laughs> All right, that guy, a troublemaker, right? But you know what? Aristarchus did not run when the going got tough. He stayed there. He suffered. He labored with Paul. Matter of fact, what's it call him? My fellow prisoner. Well, in one case, maybe he felt like a prisoner there in Ephesus, but at Rome, is he in prison with Paul? Not likely. He said, well, it says fellow prisoner. I think there's a the aspect of he probably is not in prison, but he identifies with Paul so much, with Paul who is the troublemaker. And so, actually, he shares his experience with Paul there at prison, serving him in whatever way it took. He's his errand boy, whatever he needs. He gave up his own freedom that he had to minister to Paul. He gave up a lot to minister to somebody that's in prison. Wow. A fellow, what? A fellow prisoner sends you his greetings. And we also see that um, in verse 11 where he says Jesus who's called justice. They're mentioned in all three of these guys. They are fellow workers in the plural. So he's a fellow prisoner. He's a fellow worker. He labored with all the hardships that Paul had. He actually labored in serving. We move on and we have and also Barnabas' cousin Mark about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome. I think there's something to be said about that because if you remember the story of Mark we know that he was from Jerusalem. He's a Jew from Jerusalem, just like these other guys. These two other ones, in a sense, came from a Jewish background. His mother kept an open house for the believers. And of course, he even goes back to the time of Christ, and we see him where he had actually had run out of the house and with evidently no clothes. There's something happening there. You remember that guy? That that was John Mark. Well, we look in Acts 12.12 12, and we see what his mother's doing as far as the church is concerned. So he had a rich background from the very outset almost. 12.12 12. And when you realize this, this is Peter. Whenever he had been in prison or he had been... Uh, there was some violence happening, and anyway, he wound up having to be uh, taken in. He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark. That's why he's called John Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. Where did Peter go? Happened to be Mark's house or his mother's house. They were free to meet there. They met there, prayed, worshipped, gathered together. So. Uh, Quite a, quite a nice place she made for them. Well, Mark is one who failed. 
of all people, Mark. Um, he was, you might remember, the story goes where Barnabas, which is uh, a traveling companion of Paul on that first missionary journey, says, hey, listen, why don't we take my cousin, John Mark? You know, from Jerusalem. And Paul said, yeah, yeah. And he's on the journey and gets a little rough. Gets a little tough out there. And it is. It's a hard way to go. You're, you're blazing trails here for Christianity. Christianity is not, place, not the place for the faint-hearted. And he took off. He just abandoned. Just, that's it. Didn't say a thing. Just, just, just out of there. So I'm going, guys. This is it. Wow. There are a lot who do that. Just abandon. Just for no reason. Well, the reason is, is they, they don't like what's happening. It's not flowing the way that they thought. But it's interesting. You see Paul mention him here in Colossians. And he says, um, hey, here with me is he's Mark. And if he does come to you, I want you to make sure that you welcome him. He's cool now. He's cool. Uh, he's mentioned in Philemon 24. Remember, Philemon we have a letter going to, so he's mentioned there. And then in 2 Timothy 4.11, look at this. You get the value of Timothy. You can say, well, he goofed up. Man, he blew it. He shouldn't be given another opportunity. I mean, look at the guy. What he did, he abandoned Paul. It says, only Luke is with me. And this is whenever Paul is in jail another time. And it's his last days, really. He's not going to live much longer after this. Only Luke, the doctor, is with me. Pick up Mark. He says, Timothy, uh, pick up Mark, bring him along. Bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. That's 12 years later. What's this saying? Somebody might goof up. You might have goofed up. You might feel like a failure. Well, the Gospel of Christ can change people and restore us to usefulness. That's what He did uh, initially when He saved us. And that's what He continues to do with us. Paul had forgiven him. He now trusted him as a representative of the gospel, and uh, of course he shows there. He, you know he had, and and as a result, you know that Mark wrote the book of Mark. The gospel of Mark was written by him, and Peter mentions him in First Peter five thirteen. He was kind of the son of the faith. That means Peter probably led him to Christ or to to trust in you know what. That was all about. So if we fail in our walks, if we do fail in our service, God's not done with us. Right? Isn't that hopeful? Isn't that great? We can fall, but we're picked back up. Here's for a story of forgiveness. Boy, there's so much in this text. You know what? <laughs> now, the next one, verse 11, and also Jesus who is called Justice. And that's interesting. He has a kind of a double name. Jesus, Justice, uh, Except for this verse, this is really all we know about him. This is really about it. Um, in Acts twenty-eight seventeen, he's not mentioned there, but this could have been him. Remember, he's a Jew, right? Twenty-eight seventeen. After three days, Paul called together those who were the leading men of the Jews, and when they came together, he began saying to them. Now, his leading Jews. We're not talking about converted Jews. We're talking about Jewish people that were in Rome, and he says. I, I want to get the leaders together. I want to discuss what, where, why I have come to be where I am at. And of course, remember, he was quite a leader in the Jewish religion, wasn't he? And so he tells them, and, and we know that he preached from the uh, prophets, from the law of Moses, the law and the prophets. He, he showed them the Old Testament that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. Well, in verse 24... Some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others wouldn't believe. Some Jews came to the faith. They saw what Paul was talking about, and they said, yes, I get it. He persuaded them through God, through God's Spirit. Verse 28 says, Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will also listen. When he'd spoken these words, the Jews departed, having a great dispute among themselves. What you what you have here? Oh, in um, we read seventeen, and then we read uh, twenty eight. Right when they had set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers, and he was explaining to them 
verse 23, by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God, trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. Some were being persuaded. It's very possible that Jesus' justice could have been one that was from Rome. And one of those Jewish people that had come in there being persuaded. We don't know. Barry could much well mean that. Um, so he could have been a Roman Jew. He's a Jew. If it's Roman Jew, that's even more fascinating, isn't it? Uh, Jesus is the Greek form of Joshua, Yeshua, Yahashua, uh, means Savior. And justice means righteous. And righteous He is because of Christ. I think because of the lack of, I guess you could say, fellow Jewish people coming to Christ, don't you think that grieved Paul's heart? In the book of Romans, he said it in chapters 9 and 10 and 11. Speaking about Jewish people there and what his feelings were for them. In that context, you see that that has a powerful question that they had. And he showed his heart. I mean, if possible, uh, he'd be condemned himself if they would come to the knowledge of the truth. I mean, that's quite an incredible statement. But Jewish Christians really weren't very many that committed to helping Paul out. I mean, this is fascinating. He says this right here in Colossians. He mentions Aristarchus and Mark and Jesus' justice. These are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision and they have proved to be an encouragement to me. That's the only ones that came around there to Paul. And, of course, we know that uh, what Jews did, um, of course, the circumcision, they caused all sorts of ruckuses everywhere Paul went. Of course, some of them did become Christians. Quite the encouragement, though. Only these three Jews proved to be an encouragement to Paul as he's there laboring. And then he mentions Luke as we go back to Colossians now. And I'm skipping to verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings. Now, the reason I mention Luke here and, and I skip down to 14 is because we have to move on and we have to finish up. And I'm going to skip the other guys. Well, not true, but... The reason we put him there because he's the one that's staying there this time. He was very faithful. He was a professional, skilled person. He was a physician. A close friend of Paul. Very close. Very tight. He wrote the book of Luke. He wrote the book of Acts. His language was incredible. The knowledge, the way that he put it down... Of course, being a doctor, he's very educated, he's very cultured. He knew the Greek language fluently as he wrote it. Wrote it with complete accuracy. He is a historian to the elite. And we know everything in there is perfect because it's God's Spirit that's inspiring him to write this. But uh, can you imagine the talents that he brought to Paul? And being on the level that he was, of his understanding and such... Um, he really helped Paul out a lot. And of course, when you're traveling, boy, is it a good thing to have a doctor along. Dr. Luke, a physician. Nice to have that. And so, and there were times where Paul needed that, we know. But, um, you know, of course, it's God who's the one who heals, but he uses doctors uh, to do that too, doesn't he? So, you know, all missionary work, they, they bring in the physicians to people, don't they? they? They must have that kind of thing. You know what? He probably gave up a very lucrative practice to travel with Paul. He probably had a private practice going on, being a doctor. How many doctors were there back at that time? Probably one for every hundred, so many, who knows, hundreds of miles. But a special talent that he had, and he's considered to be beloved and devoted. The beloved physician sends you his greetings. Wow, how nice. That is incredible. What a privilege to be called this by the Apostle. Beloved. Very close friends. There's a guy by the name of Demas here, and I don't have it listed in our outline, and there's a reason why. Because um, I'm, I'm, I'm staying on faithfulness here. Demas was faithful for a while, but he didn't stay faithful. He's one of those guys that quits. He gives it up after a while. But he's listed as he made a special contribution to the Lord's work the future proves to be very sad because of what he did. He deserted Paul. 
That's found in 2 Timothy 4, 9 and 10. I'm not going to read it, but it's there. If you want to look it up, that's, that's good. This is heartbreaking. When you have a fellow worker, and he gives it up for the pull of the world system. He gives up his, uh, the ministry that he had, and Paul was depending on him, and he just dropped the ball, and he said he saw something else that, was, that looked a lot better to him. So we bring him in, showing that he was faithful, and then he became faithless. That's sad, isn't it? Now, we go to the faithful who pray. The faithful who what? Go. The faithful who stay. The faithful who pray. And that's Epaphras. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. For I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and those who are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. He gets a couple of verses. Yeah, Epaphras. We've heard about him, haven't we? We heard about him in chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. And he is the pastor of Colossae. At least I would take it that way. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. He left Colossae to tell Paul what was happening back in their area, in their church. False teachings. Heresies were coming in. He goes to tell Paul what's going on. Hey, I need a little help here, Paul. This is getting to be very serious. And so he visits Paul. A lot of reasons why, but that was the biggest reason. So Paphras is the founder of the Colossian church. He's the one that brought the gospel there. He's the one that passed them, gave them the good news, continued on with that. And now he's talking with Paul. Paul says he labored earnestly. And you have to like that uh, word, laboring earnestly. It's dealing with agonizomai. And everyone here has probably heard that several times in our Colossian study. Agon is agony. Agonizomai. Fervently labor to work hard at it. It's an athletic term. It means to fight, to give oneself fully, wholeheartedly. He labored earnestly in His prayer. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, that same term is used whenever He was praying. And He invited the disciples to do that and to stay awake. And uh, you know, they, they didn't. But He labored earnestly or He agonizomide. He went to agony. He sweat drops of blood. Um, who knows what um, Epaphras is doing, uh, what's happening there, but he prayed. And he prayed constantly. He prayed fervently. He prayed personally. He prayed for each one of those people back in Colossae. It was not just say, hey God, uh, bless the missionaries. <laughs> you know, he, he just prayed for those ones he knew and he carried them in his heart. And he prayed particularly. He wanted them, as he prayed, he wanted them to Stand perfect and to be fully assured in the will of God. That's the reason that he prayed, that they would be able to stand perfect or mature. He wanted them to be complete, fully mature, fully developed, totally satisfied in God. That's really what he's really after. That was his prayer. I can't think of a better prayer, can you? And so he constantly did that earnestly, always. Okay. Deep concern. Verse 15, we finish this out. Ready? i got to catch my breath for a moment because this is going to be a whirlwind now. These are the last greetings. And he tells them to be faithful. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea. When you go there, greet them. And also Nympha and the church that is in her house. When this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. Say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you. The faithful need encouragement. And so Paul, I mean, Paul tells um, uh, what Tychicus and uh, Onesimus to bring back the letter. Um, take it to them. Hey, greet those who are in Laodicea. That's what, that whole area. Remember, they were uh, little towns that were close. And so he says, oh, greet them. And he says, by the way, read, have them read the letter of Colossians. Read that to them. Have them read it. And then you'll take that letter to Colossae and then you'll have them read it. That's circular letters going on here. Then there in turn, the Colossians are going to read the letter that's coming from Laodicea. We don't know for sure what that is, but I think we might know. 
It could be the letter that is to the Ephesians. People at uh, um, Laodicea are going to read that one. He says, okay, now you also read this. the Ephesians letter. It's a circular letter. It's intended for several churches all around there. So they were ex- to exchange those letters from Paul. And so, boy, what a quite a, um, a deal going on. He says, greet the brethren who are there. And Nympha... Um, could be female, could be male. Any, uh, but it says in our version, her house. Uh, Nympho, we don't know. If, possibly a woman. Although it does say in the church that is in her house. So I would tend to go along with that. That's the way some of the translators have brought that forth. Um, that's where they met. And Archippus is uh, to be a faithful minister there himself. Um, He's found here and he's found also in Philemon too. Philemon, he's in the household of Philemon. He's to take from the example of all the fellow workers that we just met and to fulfill the ministry there in Colossae. He says, say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. So he's given quite the opportunity there. And of course, um, one of the, of course the pastor there had gone on and, and um, delivered this information. Uh, to Paul, and he says, "You fulfill that ministry." I write this greeting with my own hand. At the very end, Paul writes this. He has somebody writing most of the letter, and then he says, "Hey, I'm writing this to show you personally. This is me. Remember my imprisonment. Just you know, remember that. No big deal. Don't you know? Don't don't be concerned, but just remember me. And grace be with you. Uh, pretty good way to close. Grace be with you. You know, Paul closes with grace be with you." Often, grace and peace to you. This is the message of the gospel in Colossians. Grace. What was the problem? It was the opposite. They were bringing in heresies. And heresies always are man-made theologies. It's not grace. It's maybe grace plus something and you can't have that. The Reformation. Uh, This is called Reformation Sunday. Wednesday we're celebrating Reformation. I'll I'll tell you in a a moment a little bit more about that. But that's Wednesday night. We're going to have a special night. Help me remember to tell you. But uh, Reformation said grace alone. It's nothing. Plus nothing. Grace is only by itself. We can't add works to it. It's a man-centered gospel if it is. And Paul says grace to you. That's what this is all about in Colossians. For, because of that, that's where we are hearkened back to the cross of Christ. We see that on the cross is the sufficient one. The all-sufficient supreme one. The preeminent one. And we trust in His sacrificial work. And we know that we are made complete in Christ. Is that grace? We're complete in Him and we're to become mature in Him. We're to be faithful people of God, faithful in our ministries, and it's because of Christ who's in us and His power, His Spirit. The the very supremacy, the primacy, the sufficiency of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the reason why we are here. Let's pray.